You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are in an incredible book of the Bible. We're coming near the finish line of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. It's like we're going to Jerusalem for Advent. Today, it's going to be chapter 12. Next week, it's going to be a wonderful music celebration of Christmas. And then we will finish Nehemiah on this following Sunday, December 17th. Well, let me set up Nehemiah 12. First of all, we are a Bible-believing church. We believe that this is the only perfect thing on earth. This is the book, actually a series of books, that God wrote through human authors. It's 66 books written over the course of a few thousand years by some 40 human authors. But working behind all of those people is the divine spirit of God giving us revelation and giving us truth from God. We here like to go through books of the Bible, and right now we're in the book of the Bible called Nehemiah. And our assumption is, if God said it, it must be important. And when it comes to studying a book of the Bible, we also understand that any book of the Bible, because the Bible itself is not primarily about us. The Bible opens by saying, in the beginning, God. That means that God is the hero. God is the center. God is the theme of the Bible. And so from page one through all of the rest of the pages, we learn more and more about this God, that ultimately someone shows up named Jesus Christ, and he tells us that he is God, the God that we've been waiting for, the God that we are learning about through all of these books of the Bible. And he tells us the whole Bible is about him. I'll show it to you. In John chapter 5, some religious leaders come to argue and debate with Jesus, and he says this. He's telling the religious leaders, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, he says. So what he's saying is you're, you're reading the Bible, you're studying the Bible, which is a good thing, but here's what's bad. You don't understand that the entire point of this book is about me and about a relationship with me. And after he rises from the dead, Jesus hosts a Bible study at the end of Luke's gospel. And he goes through the entire Old Testament telling them how everything about that is pointing to Jesus That would have included this book of Nehemiah in which we find ourselves now. The Bible is perfect. And as we like to announce, it's all about Jesus. And what we like to do is we like to open the Bible, study it, try to figure out how it points to and leads us to Jesus Christ as God. Now, that being said, we are in a book of the Bible that's about 2,500 years old And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a worship service. God's people, just like us, gathering together to do the very things that we're going to do. Hear the word of God preached, sing, pray, and more. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we may wonder, 
what does this have to do with me? Does it even apply to me? I mean, it's an old book. Is there anything about it that means anything to me? But I believe, and for some of you, this may be the most important day of your life. I believe that as we're going through a book of the Bible, God is going to use it to change your life and alter your eternity. So as we jump in, we've got some good news. You can be clean. Basically, the first half of Nehemiah 12 is a list of the names of priests and Levites. Levites are a group of people who assisted, came alongside of the priests in the worship of God. So this long list of names of all the priests, the Levites, and the heads of all their families. And we're going to pick up the story with verse 30. And then we're going to come back in hip pieces a little before and a little after that as well. But here's what Nehemiah 12 verse 30 says. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. What happens is as people, we get defiled. We get unclean because of sin. And as a general rule, we all feel this. We all have done things in our life that we wish we could undo. We've all said things we wish we could take back. The Bible calls that sin. And and the Bible uses about a dozen words to talk about the effects of sin. Words like defiled, unclean, impure, filthy. And what we see in this one verse from Nehemiah 12 is that places Thanes and people will all become defiled and unclean and impure. So what they're doing is that they are dedicating and consecrating and purifying this place and these Thanes to the Lord. Some of you know this. You were with us. When this building was built in 1999, we did pretty much the very same thing. Not only did we pray for and over everything that would happen here for ministry, but Bible passages were written on the framework, on the two-by-fours underneath all of the sheetrock in every room. Well, there's nothing magical about that. It's an acknowledgement that all we stand for is Jesus and all we stand on is his word. So places, things, and people become defiled. Let's talk about things closer to home, literally. What is it at your home or on you personally that could make you feel defiled and unclean? For some of you, maybe it's a liquor cabinet. For some of you, maybe it's the snack pantry where all the chips and Oreos are kept. For some of you, it's technology. And the first question is, Do I need to just remove it from my life? Do I need to get rid of this or is there a way to purify this? Is there something that could be used in a way that it honors God and brings health and joy to my life? For example, in your technology, how many of you have ever taken this device and said, I'm going to dedicate this to the Lord? So that may mean you look at different things. It may mean that you get off certain social media. 
How many of you have looked at your budget, your schedule, your bed, and said, I'm going to consecrate this to the Lord? That's what they're doing with places and things. You've got to make this determination about your own life. What do I sense is unclean and what for me makes me unclean? When it's places, it's like, well, should I go there? Or should I go there with the Holy Spirit to cleanse it? Or or this thing, should I keep it in my life or should I remove it? If I keep it, how can I redeem it? Now, every single one of us fills this filth, uncleanness, defilement. We use words like brokenness, dirty. Again, we've all done things that make us feel filthy, dirty, defiled. We've all had things done to us that make us feel dirty, filthy, defiled. And that's exactly what these people are dealing with. The problem in our culture is this. We're aware of the ways in which we are victims and people have done things against us, but we're not always aware of the ways that we're sinners and we do things to others. So here's what happens. When we sin, we're sinned against. We feel dirty, unclean, defiled. We don't know what to do about it. And we have different ways of trying to cope with it. We try to hide it or try to pretend it's it's not really a big thing or even excuse it by saying something like, well, that's just who I am. But what happens in our life when things get dirty? Anything get dirty in your life? Your car gets dirty. Do you know how to clean it? Yes. Your teeth get dirty. Do you know how to clean them? Yes. Your clothes get dirty. Do you know how to clean them? Unless you're a teenage boy, the answer is yes. Sorry, guys. Your soul gets dirty. Do you know how to clean it? Too often the answer is, I have no idea. That's the problem. And in a sinful world, everyone and everything gets dirty. The question is, how do you clean it? What they're doing here, it says they're purifying themselves. Literally, they're going up to worship. You see, the temple, their version of the church, is up on a hill. Down at the bottom were several washing basins in which you would get ceremonially cleaned as you walk up that hill. You would literally cleanse yourself and you'd put on special clothes. What color do you think those clothes are? White. And the people would all go up on the hill to worship. You would see thousands going up on a hill wearing white, showing that they've been cleansed. And these people are coming together for worship. And they're really, really excited because they get their soul clean thanks to their God. Let me tell you this. Only God can get your soul clean because no one can get to your soul except your God. Here's what's amazing. This was about 450 years before Jesus came. And now we are a few thousand years after Jesus. They were excited to get their souls clean and Jesus had not yet come. We should be at least as excited. So let me explain to you how you get your soul clean. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light, that's being open and honest. That's saying, here's what I did. 
Here's what they did. As he is in the light, God isn't in the darkness. He's in the light. In fact, God is light. Then we have fellowship with one another. What that means is that we really know each other. And isn't it amazing that once we know what someone has done or something that's been done to them, we tend to have a lot more compassion and patience and empathy because we understand them. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, he died for our sin. And what is the result? Purifies us from all sin. That would mean the sin that we commit and the sin that they commit, the sin that we are doing as sinners and the sin that happens to us from others. But if we claim to be without sin, I don't really need Jesus. I'm a good person. My life is under control. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. Everything's great. I've got this. I'll figure it out. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You're lying to yourself. But here's the good news. Next verse. If we confess our sins, if we name them, he is faithful, which is amazing, and just. He died for our sins to bring justice, and that will do two things. Forgive us of our sins, all the stuff that we've done, and purify us from all unrighteousness, which would include the things that they did to make us feel defiled and unclean. Okay, listen to me. I, I love you. This is going to change your life. You are not defined by what you've done. Some of you are like, Pastor Paul, you don't, you don't know what I've done. He does. And he tells us that you're not defined by what you've done. Satan wants to define you by what you've done or what others have done. That's why he's called the accuser of the children of God. But the apostle Paul assures us, Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So number two, not only are you not defined by what you've done, you're not defined by what they've done. They cannot define who you are. He does. So you're not defined by what you've done. You're not defined by what they've done. You're defined by what Jesus Christ has done. That is the basis of your identity. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. He just told us. How do we get our soul clean? It says the blood of Jesus purifies us. Jesus did the most incredible thing. He actually did two incredible things. He took your place and he put you in his place. Jesus Christ is God. He is the only God. Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible. He is the center of humanity, the savior of us all. Jesus is God who became a human being to live the life that we cannot live, that is pure and without sin. And he died the death that we should all have died because the wages of sin is death. Jesus then went to the cross and he took our place. And here's what's amazing. He put us in his place. 
So he became unclean to make us clean. He died so that we could live. He separated himself from the Father so that we can be reconciled to the Father. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, so we could live without shame. He died in our place, and we live in his place. What's even more amazing about all this, the Bible goes on to change the name or the word or the title that describes believers. Let me get at it this way. Once you meet Jesus, are you still sinners? Yes. And if you're like, I don't know, ask your spouse. There's your testimony. (laughs) But our identity is no longer as sinner. That's not what defines us. It's saint. A few hundred times, the Bible calls God's people saints. The beginning of many New Testament letters are addressed to the saints living in whatever city that the letter is going to. The point is this. Sin is some of what you do. Saint is who you are. Sin would be the explanation of your past. Saint, the destination of your future. Right now, all of us are between sinner and the perfect, resurrected, fully purified, wearing white in the presence of Jesus, saint that you will be forever. And he is in the process of causing you, calling you, compelling you to be pure and clean and holy and righteous, to become like he is. And let me say this about Christians. It doesn't matter what we've done, we're forgiven and clean. And it doesn't matter what's been done to us, we're forgiven and clean. Who we were is not who we are. And it most certainly is not who we will be when Jesus is done with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the day. If you've never given your sin to Jesus, this is the day. As we head into Christmas, the one thing that God wants from you for Christmas is your sin. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We live in a broken world where people are in denial. They're angry. They're fearful. They're self-medicating. They're self-destructing because they can't get their soul clean. But he can, and he would love to do that for you. All you have to do is simply this. Recognize that you are a sinner, that sin makes you unclean. But that Jesus is our Savior and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We're going to give you an opportunity when I'm done preaching, and I will end at some point, and then there will be prayer stations up front led by some of our elders. And if you would like to receive Jesus, or there's something that you're struggling with, you need prayer for, deliverance from, healing through, cleansing from, we want the Holy Spirit to do that for you. So number one, you are clean. Number two, you can be glad. Here's what we read in Nehemiah. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, so it's a church service, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, And lyres, we use organ, piano, drums, guitars. It's all the same. (laughs) Next verse. The musicians also were brought together. 
then Nehemiah says this. We're kind of skipping ahead a little bit. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. So they've got worship music and they've got Bible teaching going on. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests. A couple verses later, we read this. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. You know it's going well when the wives are happy. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard where? Far away. Let me tell you this. Our world isn't clean. Our world isn't glad. We had a thing a few years ago. I don't know if you remember this. It was called COVID. It's kind of a thing. And ever since then, anxiety, depression, and mental health issues have gone up 25% globally, affecting young people the worst. But here's the thing. If God can make you clean, God can make you glad. If God can make you clean in here, then God can let you have cheer out there. Those are the two things that our world most desperately needs and only Jesus provides. What were these people doing? They were worshiping God. You heard the words, great joy, thanksgiving, rejoice, rejoicing. They're pretty excited about their God. So when we come to worship, we come to worship the God who not only makes us clean, but makes us glad. Let me explain this. Everyone worships. Worship is not just a Christian thing. It is a human thing. Worship is what you live for or who you live for or what or who is most important to you or what or who you make the greatest sacrifices for. We all worship someone or something. And too many people worship by the power of the unholy spirit of fear instead of worship by the powerful Holy Spirit of God. Most people, the decisions they make, the lives they live, the feelings they have, the choices they choose are driven by the spirit of fear. They're trying to avoid pain or punishment or difficulty or obstacle. Lots of people are struggling with fear. Where's our economy going? Where are politics going? Where's the culture going? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to our marriage? What's going to happen to my kids? Spirit of fear. Now, for those of you who've been with us through this book of Nehemiah, do these people who are worshiping in this book, do they have a reason to be fearful? Oh, yeah. Their economy was in decline. Politically, do they have reasons to fear? Yes. All around there were enemies plotting and to destroy them, invade them. In addition, physically, they were exhausted. They had just spent 52 days rebuilding the, the city, the walls, the temple, getting it opened. In addition, these people have great reason to fear because spiritually, they are opposed and attacked. And yet... They are responding with rejoicing because the spirit of God casts out the spirit of fear. I'll share it with you again. They celebrated with gladness, thanksgiving. They rejoice with great joy. Their joy could be heard from far away. 
And it's not because their lives got better. It's because their lives got connected to God who was over their lives. That's the key to worship. What they're doing is focusing on God. They're worshiping God. So their priorities are now in order. They're worshiping God how he wants, and they're gathering together not to worship because their circumstances changed. They're worshiping the God who could pull them above their circumstances. They're all listening to the Bible being taught, just as you are. And they're singing and cheering and kneeling and raising hands and clapping and shouting, just giving you some thoughts. We were made to worship And just like your body needs exercise, so does your soul. So God makes you clean. God makes you glad. And then lastly, you can be generous. Here's what they say. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring in the storerooms, the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests And Levites, the people love their ministry leaders is what it's saying. And they love to reward them handsomely, it's saying. (laughs) Something to pray about. So in the days of Zerubbabel and and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. Those are like, you know, that staff. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites. And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron who were the priests. They were the pastors of that version of the church. So here's the movement. God makes you clean. God makes you glad. And then God makes you generous. And he uses these two words, first fruits and tithes. First fruit is first because God is first. So give to God first. And then it talks about tithe, which is 10%. The big debate is, well, what about as Christians living in the New Testament times? Do we still tithe? Well, let me tell you what we do at our house. Tithe is the floor, not the ceiling. Now, we're not going to judge you, but they're being generous. And what I want to say is this, worship is sacrifice. It's part of their worship. When you give to the Lord, you're making a sacrifice. You're making a sacrifice saying, I'm going to spend this on him, and so I'm not going to spend it on this. I'm going to make a choice, which is a sacrifice. And they come to worship with their hands full. Zero people in the Bible came to worship empty-handed. Let me tie this to Christmas. How many of you are like, this is the worst Christmas sermon ever? Look, it's Christmas time. Who is Christmas all about? Jesus. You know why the people in Nehemiah's day were so excited? Because Jesus was coming. Now, they had to wait 400 years. But they were excited because they knew of the coming of a Messiah. Jesus was coming, so there was a sense of expectation. They were anticipating. They were expecting. So let me turn this into a Christmas sermon. Christmas is the season of year where people do something in greater measure than they do at any other time during the year. They give. Why? 
Because anything tied to Jesus just evokes and promotes generosity. How many of you have heard of the three wise men? First of all, we don't know that there were three. In Matthew 2, it says they brought three gifts. There could have been seven wise men. Maybe four of them were cheap guys. We don't know, but here's what we do know. It says they came from the east. That's probably Persia. Now, here's what's crazy. God's people lived in the west. It's called Israel with its capital, Jerusalem. And a group of people in the Bible... Babylonians, and eventually the Persians, they invaded Jerusalem, Israel, and the days of Daniel, and they broke the walls, and they burned the gates, and they closed the temple, and they took the, the, the best of the young men as hostages and slaves, and they took them east, Babylon, Persia. 141 years go by and the whole book of Nehemiah is about one guy who was in Persia called by God to go back to Jerusalem for the worship of God. Over 400 years later, God becomes a man and he shows up in Israel. He is eventually visited by those wise men from Persia who come bearing gifts. And Jesus' parents take him when he is little to the temple. He goes through that wall, those gates, into the temple that they have been rebuilding 400 and some odd years earlier. And let me tell you this. God knows exactly what he's doing in human history. God has everything worked out according to his divine plan and it is perfect in every way. And the result is we have so much gift giving around the time of Christmas is because we've been given the greatest gift on planet earth, Jesus Christ. Let me begin to close with this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever shall believe in him Will not perish, but receive this amazing gift of eternal life. And friends, if you met Jesus, just like any gift that is given, you have to receive it. People can give you gifts, but if you don't receive them, then you can't get joy from them. Jesus is God's gift to you this Christmas season. Have you received Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Would you let Jesus today make your soul clean and give you a fresh, clean start? Will you let Jesus today make you glad so that you could worship him by the spirit of God despite your circumstances? And would you give Jesus today your generosity? Time, talent, treasure. That you would forgive people and bless people. That you would offer what you have. That you would give encouragement and life and light in a world that is so lacking life and light. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, 
our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.